Hello, my name is Jody Lima, and welcome to Dream Gardens, where we talk up the children's books we love. On this twice-monthly podcast, posted on the first and third Monday of each month, I interview other kids' books enthusiasts about their own favorite children's books. On today's podcast, I'm going to be interviewing Jonathan Rosen. Uh, he's author of the middle grade Devin and Dexter books, Night of the Living Cuddle Bunnies, and From Sunset Till Sunrise. And we're going to be talking about a couple of the Choose Your Own Adventure books, uh, The Cave of Time by Edward Packard and The Myst- Mystery of the Maya by R.A. Montgomery. And we're going to be focusing not just on the individual books, but on the whole concept and impact of the series itself. Uh, but first, as always, I'll be reading a poem. Uh, the poem for today is called Reading. It was written by Jacqueline Woodson, and it can be found in her verse novel, Brown Girl Dreaming. Reading. I am not my sister. Words from the books curl around each other, make little sense, until I read them again and again, the story settling into memory. Too slow, the teacher says. Read faster. Too babyish, the teacher says. Read older. But I don't want to read faster or older or any way else that might make the story disappear too quickly, from where it's settling inside my brain, slowly becoming a part of me. A story I will remember long after I've read it for the second, third, tenth, hundredth time. My guest today is Jonathan Rosen, author of the middle grade books Rockefeller Caper and the Devin Dexter series, which includes the books Night of the Living Cuddle Bunnies and From Sunset Till Sunrise. You can find his website at houseofrosen.com. Thank you for joining me today, Jonathan. Thanks so much for having me. My pleasure. Now, I mentioned that you have these uh, Devin Dexter books and uh, you have uh, two of them. Can you talk a little bit about who this character is and these kind of peculiar situations <laughs> he seems to find himself in? Uh, to make it long story short, the character is, well, I like to think of my ideal me as a kid, but much, much braver <laughs> because I wouldn't be doing half the things that he did. But uh, I, I like doing horror comedy you know, giving horror books a, you know, a play with the tropes. So Devin lives in the town of Gravesend, which is coincidentally the town that I'm from in Brooklyn, New York. Uh, I know you can't tell from the accent that I am from New York, but <laughs> but, but Gravesend had, uh, in the middle of this town that I lived in, that there was like a 300-year-old cemetery right there in the middle of town, right, you know, right there between the couple of buildings even. It was just easy. You just go, go through. And I was always fascinated to go just see these tombstones like hang, you know right there between buildings so that inspired you know from later on this spooky town like what would it be like to live like in such a creepy place but uh so in gravesend all these things happen and uh you know the first book night of the living cuddle bunnies was about uh someone you know a witch moves next door he thinks a witch moves next door no one believes him and then you know the, i wanted to play with like the hot christmas toy coming to life and terrorizing the town to me, that was absolutely hysterical. <laughs> I thought of that, so uh, I played around with that to make it to make it funny. I, you know, I like to include funny for for sure because kids love scary, but they also like that relief of being, you know, funny, breaking the tension a little bit. And from sunset till sunrise is a little bit different, sort of. Play. Right, sunset till sunrise is you know the same characters, but this time they deal with a uh, a school a you know, an acting school filled with vampires. So uh, again, so I was able to play around with a lot of the, the tropes 
uh, the vampire tropes and that. And, you know, they, they didn't have any garlic with them at the time. So they had to use from their mom's pantry, the garlic powder and mix it with water. So I just like, like to play around with, uh, you know, all the things that you think about with vampires and twist them a little bit. And uh, in in writing horror, like you said, it's horror comedy, so it's not entirely – it's not, not going all Stephen King. Uh, right. And especially you're writing for kids, and so you know there are limits that you have in, in making things. You want things scary but not overwhelmingly scary. Right. You know what? I was surprised with From Sunset Till Sunrise – they let me get away with a lot more than I thought I was going to get away with, with in vampires, uh, you know, just like blood everywhere and, you know, explode, exploding people or something. But they did let me get away with a lot more than I thought they were going to let me uh, get away with it originally. So you can't have vampires without blood in it. So, but uh, yeah, I mean, it's not, it's not as like what you would read Stephen King, but there, there are definitely some gruesome parts in there. And that has a certain kind of appeal to kids as well, that sort of um, uh, going up to the edge of things and having a little bit uh, gruesome as well. Yes. Oh, no, kids. I, my, from what I see, kids do love that aspect. I mean, my, my daughter is, is in middle school. She's horror obsessed. Uh, she'll watch things, more things than all I'm willing to watch. I mean, she's watched The Shining on her own, everything. So uh, she loves horror. Mm. And um, are there um, uh, besides this uh, series, are there other things that you have in the works? I do have something in the, the works, and we'll see what happens. I just turned it in to my agent. Uh, good timing that you're asking that. I just turned it in yesterday, as a matter of fact, uh, a book dealing with aliens. So we will see what happens with that one, but I'm very excited about it. So is this also in the horror vein or more science fiction? Or it's more. This one's more sci-fi. For sure. Sci-fi humor, a lot of humor in it as well. Mm -hmm. And you find the humor part of it is really important, especially in writing books for kids, uh, no matter what the genre, whether it's horror, sci-fi or something else that even even dramatic books, you know, having that horror, uh, that humor element. Well, the you know, in a dramatic book, the humor, like I mentioned before, does bring a little bit of a release. You can't just have all worked up. But, you know, I I tend to write funny and uh I'll go quickly into a funny story. Before I got published with Night of the Living Cuddle Bunnies, I had another manuscript out. It was at two different uh, publishing houses. Now, I won't mention which ones, but it was at two different houses. And they, they went to acquisitions in both places. And that means, you know, that they were deciding whether or not it was going to get published. They had this whole committee meeting deciding whether or not it was going to get published. And they both turned it down within a week of each other. And I was, you know, <laughs> depressed beyond belief, but they both gave me different reasons why they turned it down. But they both told me, the, you know, the positive that they loved the humor in it. So taking that, you know, that positive from the negative, you know, that's that's what I built on. I made the next book, which was Night of the Living Cuddle Bunnies, as funny as I could. And, you know, so that that feedback proved beneficial because I did get published with that one. So you can always, not don't always look at the negative on things. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Now, as well as um, uh, uh, the books you write, uh, you also do school visits uh, from time to time. You talk a little bit about uh, what a typical or uh, school visit might be, what uh, uh, one might expect when you show up. Well, I, I try to be as funny as possible, for one, but I do t talk to the kids about, you know, perseverance and not giving up. And, you know, it takes years, I mean, of going through and a lot of people telling you, that along the way, there are going to be people that are telling you you can't do something and you can't 
ever believe and listen to someone when they say that you can't do something. You know yourself and you push through and, you know, prove those doubters wrong. And uh, you have to stick to it. And I show them, I, as a matter of fact, one of the things that I do show is my screen uh, shot at home. I have, you know, over 30 versions of Night of the Living Cuddle Bunnies because, you know, you write down one draft, but then you have to keep sticking to it and you keep revising. You know, the, the story, the first time is for fun. The second time is the work to make it good and then so on and so on. So I kept tinkering with something and trying to get it the best as I can. And so, I, you know, it's important not, not to give up and also make sure that you don't let anyone discourage you from your dream. Now, I've talked to other authors who do school visits and they talk not only um, do they, you know, is it giving uh, kids inspiration or a message, but they also find that a lot of them say that they get something back in terms of both um, reaction and just sort of the energy from the kids just being there and just hearing from them. Oh, the kids are fantastic. I mean, I'm a former teacher, so uh, I, I always love dealing with kids anyway. Uh, I love being in the classroom, love teaching kids in the classroom. But uh, yeah, the, the kids get, the kids for the most part, you know, not, I can't say everyone, but I'll say 90% of the kids get really excited when an author comes to visit. And uh, they ask, in a lot of them, they ask the same questions, you know, where do your ideas come from? But they all have different reactions, you know, when they're, when you're talk, talking to them about some of the things that they like to do. And I give them one exercise about them coming up with their, their own stories. And we all, you know, give like different things in class that let's make a story out of this. And they, they just get really into that exercise and they, you know, they could, a story can come from anywhere and they see that. Now the, the books you chose, actually it's uh, the book uh, you originally talked about uh, um, as one of your favorites. It was really a series of books that choose your own adventure books. We're going to focus on two particular ones. Uh, the first one, the cave of time by Edward Packard, which is published in 1979. And the fifth one, mystery of the Maya by R.A. Montgomery published in 1982. Now, usually in the beginning, uh, at this time, I'll, I'll ask somebody to summarize what the book is. And, and in this case, that's, that's, it's not quite possible. So I'm going to ask you instead, uh, for, for particular for people who may not be familiar with this series of books, explain what choose your own adventure books are. What, what the Absolutely. Prep, yeah. Uh, you know, the choose your own adventure books are, it's not to sound sappy or emotional. They are really special to me. And uh, the books, I, I, first of all, I associate them with my, with my father. So he, you know, he's, he's since passed, but every single time, you know, we went to a bookstore or anything, he would buy me one of the books in the series. We, we, I, never, I never came home without one of the books in the series. So I do like, I do associate those books with him. And I was a very shy, quiet kid. I didn't, you know, I guess blossom till much later on. But uh, those books were written in second person. You are the star of the book. You do are doing this. You're having the adventure. You're going into the cave. You're going back in time, whatever it is. And so it's very easy to picture yourself as the main character because it's all you, you, you. And, uh, you know, I know that, you know, you read a book and you put yourself in the main character's shoes, but it's still like, even like you're saying Harry Potter, it's still Harry's doing this. These books, it's saying you are doing this. So I'm picturing myself, you know, you know, whatever it is, 11-year-old Jonathan doing these things. So I'm going, and so I do associate myself with that. And since I was very shy, it allowed me to, you know, picture myself as, you know, I read books constantly, but I pictured myself doing these things. I had these adventures, you know, in my mind doing these, whatever it was, each book was a different thing. 
the Cave of Time was the first book. So it's, you know, that, that resonates with me, it's the first one. And so that got me introduced into the series. And the second, you know, when we talked about the mystery of the Maya, um, I'm half Mexican, so I've, I've always been fat. I've been to Mexico many times. I lived there for a couple of years. But I've always been fascinated by the Mayans and the Mayan culture. And so that book always just stuck with me. And, you know, I loved them so much. Uh, I named my daughter Maya, actually, too. But, uh, yeah, so I really have been fascinated. So getting to go back and seeing, like, you know, and I read them again now before we came on. Uh, now I read them in the last couple of weeks again, just going back. And I still love them just the same. There was, you know, so many different choices that, you know, you're ending with. Uh, you know, you get killed in a lot of them, too. But they were just fun to read again. Yeah, because a, a part of the premise is not only are you are you the main character in these books, but there isn't a single there isn't like a plot in this book. There are many because right. you actually make choices as a reader um, as as you're reading along right. about what happens next. Right. If you want to go to it's uh, you know if you want to go uh, turn turn left down the cave and you'll wind turn to page seventeen. You could wind up in the future, but, you know. If you want to go right, turn to page 24. And I found out, you know, it was back in the Arthurian times. So, uh, you know, there, you, right, there's not one single plot. You can have multiple stories by rereading re the pages. And I, I would always, you know, dog ear the pages. Always, the corners were always folded up. So I could go back and revisit the, the previous pages and pick the option, you know, the, the other choice. And do you think there's like a, a particular kind of reader these books are designed for? Or what do they bring um, that other books uh, don't, just by the nature of the form, sort of a straight narrative? You know, a little bit, it gives you the control. And, and not to say, you know, I love, there were many books that, you know, just regular straight narrative books that, that I loved, um, that were very fond to me as well. But these books, you got to make the choice. So you kind of steered the action a little bit. And you decided which way the story was going to progress. It's not, you know, it's the character might do something in a book that you say, oh, no, why is, he, why is he or she doing that? This one, I'm the one in charge. I'm the one making the choices. So it, it was a different aspect. It was a fascinating aspect. And uh, as a matter of fact, I don't know if you remember, you know, I, <laughs> I'm giving my age. Do you remember the series Infocom Games? I don't think I do now. Okay, they were the, like the same type thing. They were on the computer, and instead of like playing all these like you know shoot 'em up games, when I was a kid, they had the Infocom games, which is a narrative text. You know, there was Zork, Deadline. You know, the same things. You made choices. You know, typing in which way you wanted your character to go, and the story progressed from there. And it just it was all text. So besides the choose your own adventure, I had those games as well. So uh, it was fun to be you're deciding the, which what's going to the hero is going to do. It's interesting. When I, I was looking through these books, one thing that I was thinking about, is, it reminded me of in, in some ways, is uh, certain video games where you have to make choices and there are consequences of those choices and then, and other, and, and other things can happen. So you sort of develop, you know, different narratives can happen depending on, um, the choices, uh, that you make. So that, that idea of, uh, video games, I think this is, not, well, not quite, a little bit before things really exploded with that, but it's almost a precursor to that in some ways. 
Oh, very much so. I, I, you know, I mean, these games that I'm talking about were just text, but yes, it's like you made the choice. And some of these <laughs> choices in here really involved gruesome deaths. So it was, it was, uh, it was fun to read as, you know, as a kid, those type of things as well. Hmm. Now, the one book that we mentioned, the first one is The Cave of Time. And again, we can't really summarize the plot. Can you talk a little bit about what's the basic, at least initial, initial premise for The Cave of Time? The, the initial premise is that, you know, you were going, the, he was like lost in a, well, he, it doesn't have to be a he really in these books, but you know, I just associating with me, but you were lost in a, in a cave and you, you went down and uh, you'd start not sure which way back. And then you start which path to take. And when uh, exited the cave, you were, you didn't recognize it at all. You didn't recognize where you, where you were. And so it's giving you the choice. Do you want to go back and try again or, or think that you might be home and you're just not recognizing it? So, and all these different ways that you can go in the cave could take you to a different time period. So there were some things in, you know, uh, caveman time and some things like essentially for medieval times and uh, some things led to the future as well. So it's, you know, each, cho- each choice. And like you said, right, it's not one plot. I could have, many many different endings just going back and revisiting a previous page yeah like you said there's all sorts of things you know the prehistoric times even and one thing you end up on the deck, deck of the titanic and i think right, even yes. once uh very very interesting kind of strange one where you're almost looking at the end of the world or the universe yes uh, yes with the aliens uh, right yeah yes. and i didn't know did you have um although there are a lot of choices uh did you have a particular favorite kind of storyline or even ending that you just really like i kind of like since i'm also fascinated by that i did kind of like the titanic one also, that you're uh, stuck on the Titanic as it's as it's going down, and I think later on, if I'm not mistaken, and I do have all the books, but it's been so long since I read most of them. They did have their own choose your own adventure Titanic story. Hmm. Oh, really? So yes, yeah, so they did that later on, and I do see a couple of them. They're not as popular as they were. I mean, when I was a kid, these these were really popular. And now that I see them here or there, and I see a couple of books that come out that do the same format, but they're not like they were. Um, you know, every, every generation is different, but I love them. And I got my kids into them a little bit too. And, uh, one of the first things when I I did, when I, I, when I started adulting, I guess, is whatever books I was missing in the series, (laughs) I went out and went to eBay and, and got the rest of them. Now the other uh, book uh, we talked about the the the, the fifth one, uh, Mystery of the Maya, um, which is uh, a, like I said, it's a, a very different uh, setting. Actually, a more much more specific uh, setting. I think the Cave of Time is a very general. We're not exactly sure where we are, but in the Mystery of Maya, we have a very specific setting. Can you talk a little bit about uh, what the initial premise for that? Right, is? I think anyway. you're involved. You're you know going with your your archaeology expedition and uh, you have a choice that the the initial choice was to go explore the ruins or go to a museum and visit the professor who's, you know, very knowledgeable about the Mayans. And so, you know, again, it does involve going back in time still as well. So you do go back and see either choice that I believe was going to take you back, but uh, you learn. And it was, that one was really interesting to me. And I, like I said, I've, I've been fascinated by that, by that uh, culture, by, you know, and uh, that time period. So it was just fun going to back and see the descriptions of, you know, the Mayan people and the Mayan. And there's been so many different things about the Mayans through the years, you know, so many different theories, you know, what happened to them. 
And so the book was fun. A lot of, you know, there's some sci-fi in there too, which I, oh, I've also read about those conspiracy theories also with the, with the Mayans. But that the book does delve into it. And so that was just so much fun. And, you know, I just love, and, you know, the funny thing is I love the Mayans so much and I've never been to those pyramids. I've been to other parts of Mexico and seen other pyramids, but never the Mayans. So I'm, you know, really would love to go one day. But uh, still, I, I used to have book after book uh, my dad got me on on Mayans, and I still read them to this day. All right. So in some ways, this book sort of uh, was an introduction to an interest that you developed a little bit later on. Oh, for sure. And it's still that's why I'm saying this. Everything together uh, between you know my dad getting me those books and me fascinated with the culture so much so that you know I named my daughter after that. It's just these books have still stayed with me. They they hold. You know, it's tough to convey how much you know, but. Uh, much more so emotionally attached to these books than a lot of others that I enjoyed as a kid. This one was a, a little bit more self-contained, like in the Cave of Time. You can all sorts of different possibilities. This one, is a, uh, there's a lot of different storylines, but they're a little bit more that is within that one setting. Although, you know, there's time travel potions. You know, it might end up as a human sacrifice yourself. <laughs> yes. And again, uh, like the previous one, their aliens can show up sometimes too. Um, did you have a particular, just like the last book, did you have a particular um, storyline or ending that you really liked? You know, it's... Uh... Again, the, the, with this ending, and I just mentioned what you just mentioned actually, with the the human sacrifice that you're going to be sacrificed, and uh, and I'm I'm keep veering from the main question, but it just reminds me. Uh, so I apologize, but you know that's one of my fond memories too. Is when we we as a when I was a kid, we went to one of the uh, pyramids in in Mexico, and they would the the tour guide was talking to us about you know human sacrifice there. And so uh, I remember my uh, my dad turning to me at the time and says, "Well, I guess you know why you're here now." <laughs> so, so that uh, that stuck with me. You know, I always found that funny. But uh, so that one did. I think that ending with uh, you know you're about to be sacrificed is uh, the one that still stuck in my head. You know, I, I don't know what you you know how many people have read about what the sacrifice entailed, and it was brutal. <laughs> it was just awful. I mean, you're, you know, you're still alive, and, you know, I, I shouldn't get too graphic on this one, but, but you know, they, uh, they, it was just awful, awful, you know, just to think about. So that one did stick out to me. Uh, what's kind of fascinated me about the book is uh, sometimes the endings, uh, terrible things happen to you, like you, you might die like in a human sacrifice or other ways, or you're, you might be trapped somewhere forever. All, and other endings are somewhat, open-ended that is we don't know exactly you know there's a suggestion that uh there's a possibility that the story will continue on after this particular ending beyond what's on the page and i'm just wondering usually you know in most books for kids you know we have a resolution at the end and things are you know sort of wrapped up and resolved but here you know you know something terrible could happen or he could die or uh we don't know exactly what's going to happen after it and i'm just wondering what do you think the appeal of that for kids because uh, it's so very different than what we usually expect. Yeah, I think that plays along into the whole theme of the series is that you just don't know. That open-endedness is, you know, you still can choose, you know, you don't have your fate here. You could still go on and choose what's going to happen. Use your, you know, use your imagination, you know, picture what do you think is going to happen next, which is, you know, what kids like doing anyway, like, you know, like to, uh, you know, guess about what's going to happen. So I think that lends itself to the type of series that this is. You just, you know, let's it's it's not ending right here. 
go back and maybe, you know, first of all, you can go back and make another choice anyway. Uh, see, you know, get something more uh, definite. But this lends itself to like, you know, guessing and, you know, using your imagination somewhat. You think that might be empowering for some kids? I'm thinking particularly of like kids who might be struggling uh, readers and reluctant to sort of just follow along a book, but giving them that uh, sort of uh, power to make choices and, you know, and unexpected things happening that that might have a certain appeal to them. I think you're hitting the nail right on the head right there. I I definitely think that uh, these were, I mean, these were fairly easy books to read. I was, I was a voracious reader anyway, but these were a great introduction to reading to me. And uh, like I said, I uh, still hold a special place in my heart. But, you know, th- there's, these are so easy to dive into from everything. You know, it's just from the very beginning, like I mentioned before, when we start with you, I don't need to start picturing anything else about, you know, what this character might be like. When it's telling me it's you, I'm just thinking me. Everything about it is me. So that way I don't have to start, you know, getting too much using too much brain process, I guess, even though, you know, I, I shouldn't say that's the wrong thing to say, but, you know, start thinking too much, overthinking what's going to be in the book. I'm in the, I'm in that book right now. So I'm the one making the choices. I'm the main character. So I think that is very empowering to the kid and it, it just spurs you and just lends itself to your imagination, you know, uh, that I'm the one that's doing all these fantastic, wondrous things that I never normally would do. And anything that can get kids to get excited about reading is always a good thing. Oh, 100%. Yes. Now, I'm wondering, um, in each of these books, you know, there's all these different endings to choose from, and you you have several ways to get to them. I'm just wondering... um, has the idea of this, this, uh, then telling a story, there's all sorts of decisions you have to make as a writer. Has that informed the books you write are, 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 are not that it, you know, it's not these sort of choose your own adventure books. You're writing a, a more a straight line a narrative, but I'm wondering just the idea of as you're writing, you know, choices are made all the time. And sometimes obviously it's built into what a character is and, you know, they'll decide things based on the person they are, but sometimes they're outside influences. But just this whole idea of a story can be all sorts of different possibilities. Does, has that uh, informed your own sense of writing when you get into a story? I, I think that's a great question. Um, I don't know if consciously, but I do can I, you know, I read books and they're, you know, the most books that I read, I just love. I, I really do. I, you know, I read mostly middle grade since that's the genre I write for, but, um, there are books, there are some books I read like, Oh, come, that's come on. That's ludicrous. This kid would never do that. And it's, you know, but that's what that author decided to do. And so when I'm writing, I think, would anyone really do this? Even though like, you know, this helps out my plot. Would anyone really do this? Was that the choice that I would make in real life? And so, yeah, it, you know, I probably, it does seep in at times because I start questioning, would this character make that choice? And so I, I try to think about, you know, what's logical to a kid, you know, not, not what's going to, you know, just push me in a story direction, any story direction that I'm forcing it to. What's the logical thing? What's the natural progression for that character to make? And are, are you somebody who, who plots out their uh, story or do you sort of like get a, get an idea and develop and see where it goes? I'll, <laughs> I'll say both. I, I normally plot every detail of the book and a lot, you know, I, I see, see people back and forth and I see the pros and cons of each thing. I normally plot down every detail, which, you know, it would still 
could give me a little bit of leeway because things change as you're writing the story. You know, sometimes the story just takes over itself and it sounds cliche, but it's, it's true. The story just starts taking over in the direction that you didn't anticipate it. But I still try to keep it within the guidelines of my outline. And, uh, you know, I'll change things along the way. The way I write normally is, you know, I come up with the ending first. The ending is the most, I, I have, must have the ending. Then I work backwards to figure out how am I going to get there to that ending. So while I say I do outline everything, uh, Night of the Living Cuddle Bunnies, I didn't outline a thing. I just went with it, and it figures that's the one I got published. <laughs> you know, that's one. So, so I do like to outline, but uh, I could see the appeal of it to just flow what what feels natural to come next. Jonathan, uh, thank you so much for uh, taking the time both to talk to me about your own books and to talk to me about uh, these Choose Your Adventure. I have to admit, um, uh, these are books I've heard about, but I never actually sat down to read any of them until now, until uh, until um, I had a chance to uh, see what books you wanted to read. So I had a chance to read them for the I very first time. I hope you enjoyed them for my pushing. <laughs> I did. I did. It was a very unique sort of experience because, you know, I'm used to re reading, you know, books that, you know, you start at the beginning, you go to the end. So it took some adjustment, I have to say, too. Right. Of course. Uh, of course. But it was a, it's a very nice experience. So thank you for uh, giving me a chance to, uh, you know, read these books. Jody, I appreciate you having me. Thank you so much. I, this was a lot of fun. You can find Jonathan's website at houseofrosen.com. Thank you for joining me on Dream Gardens. The theme music, titled All Together, is provided courtesy of Purple Planet Music. You can visit them at www.purpleplanet.com. Podcast cover art was created through Canva which can be found at www.canva.com. You can visit me at jleemont.com or follow me on Twitter at DreamGardensJLM. The Dream Gardens podcast is also available through iTunes, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, and Spotify. If you like what you hear, please comment, share, or subscribe. And if you'd like to participate in the Dream Gardens podcast, go to the contact page on my website and send me a note telling me who you are and what book you'd like to talk about. And until next time, keep dreaming, keep growing, and keep reading. Keep reading.